Hi there. Um, this is the first episode of We Don't Talk About the Weather with uh, myself, Adam Webb, and Hugh Owen. And he butchered my name in the way that every Englishman butchers my name. But you don't say your name with a Welsh I accent. I can't say my name so. properly either because I was brought up it's in like this Hugh disgusting country. Owen. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're here to talk about British politics from, uh, I'd say we're a certain le- brand of lefty. Hard um, left. Hard, fairly hard left, yeah. Um, and would be Stalinist if I could listen to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> could be told to um, So, yeah, we were talking about politics from that particular angle. A um, little bit about ourselves. Um, I'm, uh, I'm in the media. Well, I say I'm in the media. I work in an office. <laughs> it's slightly different. And uh, Hugh, yourself? I work from home. And by that, I mean I play a lot of Final Fantasy. <laughs> um, but you're good at it. Home de- oh, I'm very good at You're good at it. I'm, it, yeah. I'm very good and I'm getting better. It's a meritocracy, so <laughs> you should see some good. They don't just give you those levels. <laughs> you have to work hard at those levels. Um, I'm a dad, stay at home dad. But my kid is old enough now to not need me. There's no more honourable profession than stay at home dad. Yep. To it, go through all of the slings and arrows of those parents <laughs> at the playground looking at yes. you and going. It's pretty hard. We're in Walthamstow now, and being a stay-at-home dad in Walthamstow is the hardest of all the professions. <laughs> it goes stay-at-home dad in middle-class East London, then well, it no. goes soldier, Hold on, hold on. You don't, to, you don't want to isolate our potential listeners in the north, because they'll go, you live in a house in London. How could possibly relate to you? I don't live in no house. <laughs> <laughs> I live in a flat. Yeah. A flooding problem. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have stairs in our house, um, so it's... And I've got three. You've got I've three. I've got three actual steps. You've got three steps? Yep. You bourgeois fuck. That's why my <laughs> flat is coming close to being worth half a million. <laughs> because of my three glorious steps. So yeah, we're um, we're welfare cases. Um, we've done nothing to really achieve the station in life that we have. And we thought we'd sit here and talk to you for, yeah. I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, but a little bit about ourselves, kind of. We sound posh. We're not posh. Uh, yeah, we do sound posh on this, don't we? Uh, except I said the other. I said the word distorted when I was testing <laughs> the mic the other day, and uh, that did not go well. Distorted. <laughs> we both went to a grammar school, which also makes us properly like outs us as being properly from the southeast. Yeah, but it wasn't quite that easy, was it? It wasn't quite that. It's not a private school. We didn't pay. Which uh, sets us apart from every other British politics podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not affiliated with the Guardian or the BBC, so you know. Like to be though. Like to oh be yeah, though. Uh, yeah. If you're listening, um, we'll we, Guardian BBC will edit that out. I'm we not will the kind. Totally I'm edit not that out. the kind of pinko that would say no to money. <laughs> I would like some money. Mm. You can't live well. <laughs> you in can't a live wrong world. You can't live right in a wrong world, as Adorno says. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so let's get into it. Um, so this week? week, this week has been chock a block with interesting political news, which is to say, in Britain, nothing happened because everyone was talking about Brexit, and nobody was actually talking about Brexit, about what it entails. With Brexit, it was when I was debating voting for Brexit. It was only because I wanted to never talk about Brexit again. <laughs> but now I fully realise that. We'll never not talk about Brexit. 
we won't be t- we will be talking about Brexit for the next five years and not and actually yeah and not actually talking about anything to actually do with Brexit any of the kind of concrete aims what does it mean for your house what does it mean for your wages what does it mean for anything we'll just be talking about whether it's a red white and blue Brexit and what that means what is a red white and blue Brexit well, that's what Theresa May said. Brexit. We want a, it's a nationalist Brexit. So, in this stage of late capitalism, we've kind of gotten into this stage where we've got this very performative nationalism, where it's got to be you've got to be seen to be British, but you're not buying British. Like in the in the post-war era, they tried that kind of thing where they set up kind of national boards for products, and mm. it was like buy British, buy British eggs, buy British potatoes, buy British cars, and that's all kind of stripped away. So now when they say by British, they mean gin, tea, biscuits, um, and, uh, right. you know, child porn. <laughs> British made child porn. Yeah. <laughs> Artisanal child porn. It's the only thing, it's the only thing that uh, you can really trust it. It's got the kite mark on the bottom. <laughs> it's got a kite mark. It was artisanally made by monks. <laughs> they were the worst. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's all, that's all that anyone's talking about. Um. But uh, if we're talking about Brexit this week, it's impossible not to talk about Tony Blair and his uh, his yeah we'll get to that his meteoric descent from the heavens <laughs> slap bang into the Brexit conversation, which is not a conversation because we can't vote on it again. No, um, and he made a speech this week about um, to the Open Britain Society, which I haven't actually looked into, but I don't know. Sounds suspiciously think tanky. Sounds like that kind of neoliberal think tank where it's like the solution is well flexible working practices. And he made a speech that was interesting. I. It's he's made these speeches before. He's come back and he's you know criticised. Um, He's criticised uh, Jeremy Corbyn and uh, well, things likes, like that. He likes to criticise the people that built the Labour Party, which he destroyed. Yeah, you know. Well, he didn't destroy it. He was just part. He was just one of the many people who destroyed it. But it's his 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 poise when he's coming into you know back into your life to destroy something that you like. Mm. Um, I don't like the Labour Party, by the way. Just a, no. a fucking uh, disclaimer there. Oh, um, as an aside, I did actually have to deal with the Labour Party today. Oh, really? Yeah. When, rudely, on a Saturday morning, knocking on my door, when I was in the midst of parenting my child. What do you mean? People love it when you knock on their door. They, they just love it. It's like everyone loves it. Look at it. these polls. Look yeah. at these polls we have that tell us that you do so much better when you knock on someone's door and tell them that you're not going to do anything for them. So I'm busy there having quality time with my child. And by quality time with my child, I mean I'm playing Final Fantasy while she read in the corner. <laughs> Reading a Charlotte Bronte book, though, because, you know... Woke. <laughs> So I go to the door and I open it and they ask if my wife is there. They say, hello, is Florence there? And I just look at them, disgust and tiredness in my eyes, and say, no. And then I notice that one of them is holding a big pile of leaflets and I see the word Tories. Just gasp and say, ah, Tories. Go to shut the door. They quickly try and stop me by saying, no, Labour Party actually. And then I slam the door in their faces crying as I did so. horrible the kind of people who get up that early anyone who's motivated to work unpaid for the labor party oh they're they're matched with their disgustingness only by lib dems (laughs) who oh whoever gets that motivated by the notion of sitting on the fence (laughs) really 
Well, it's a perfect kind of uh, metaphor for the end of the welfare state. It's that, you know, you saw Tories and you went, uh, and it was a kind of long, drawn-out, uh, and then Labour just came and shut the door straight <laughs> off. <laughs> um, yeah, Blair. But yeah, Blair came back in, and he. It depends on who Blair is. It depends on what 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 shirt Blair's wearing today uh, when he comes back, because he'll come back in and say, as the spiritual father of the Labour Party, I hate to see Jeremy Corbyn destroying it by, you know, actually, in theory, addressing the concerns of actual the actual working class in this but country. Never any kind which, of father of the Labour Party, he was like this sort of. He was the boyfriend of your mum who's like a hardcore papist who told you to stop wanking. <laughs> and then killed a bunch of Muslims. <laughs> like a whole bunch. Well, that was a beautiful thing about his speech. It, it, he kind of started talking about, um, well, as you can see, we're a very divided country, and if we, I think if we all come together, us Remainers, um, we can, you know, force the government to do things. It's like, oh... If only there was an example of where that had worked, <laughs> where millions of people poured out onto the streets <laughs> in pursuit of a single aim and managed to convince the government. But of course, you know, he's, the man is immune to irony because, I mean, he, he kind of rails against, uh, you know, the, the, how, how Brexit's going to affect ordinary working people. And we might, guess what? We might end up in a low tax, low regulation economy if we allow Brexit to go through. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, Why does he even care about Brexit? Because it's an opportunity for him to come back... Does he essentially live in international waters on a yacht? (laughs) I imagine he lives on a hot air balloon (laughs) suspended between Zurich and Luxembourg, (laughs) occasionally parachuting into the Middle East and fucking that up. Because, yeah, he fucked that up, didn't he? Because that was his post-prime ministerial kind of role. I'm going to bring peace to the Middle East. (sighs) I mean, even even if you were to trust his intentions, come on... Of all the people to trust to bring peace to the Middle East, would it be a secret Catholic? <laughs> it's probably a Jesuit. Like a Jesuit. He's dedicated to uh, spreading papal influence beyond the Alps. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'd like it more if he was a Jesuit. Wasn't what are libel end? laws like, by the way? I don't. <laughs> like, we're new to podcasting, so we don't know. I I know in America you've got like fair use and that, but uh, you can take my money. It's heavily invested in gold. <laughs> well, um, gold and beer futures. Gill. <laughs> it's heavily invested in gill. Yeah. All my investments are in gill. I bought all the downloadable content. Try and fucking mine reparations out of that. Blair. <laughs> Take my collector edi- collector's edition <laughs> of Near Two. <laughs> Come for it, Blair. Come at me. <laughs> but but um, I because oh, I remember when Blair got in. Hmm. And I remember my mum being very happy. You've got to think about what that was like, though, because I was I was uh, tw- 12, 13 when he came in, and no, I had only. We were younger than that. It was, 90, it was 1997, so it was uh, fourth, 13. Yeah, I was 13 right. when he came in. So in many ways, it's kind of you go from what politics is when you're a child, which is there's a government, that's the prime minister, whatever. Mm. And she had Thatcher had been there for a long, long time. Mm. And major was kind of the similar. It was kind of similar. It was it, the 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 overwhelming feeling you got from New Labour was that the Tories were uncool. Yeah. As you grew up, you kind of realised, and Labour, New Labour became desperately uncool. Um, 
They didn't become that, that's pretty uncool. I think coming in with a D-Ream song. Uh, well, I mean, I was going to say like it, it took it took until that D-Ream song. You know the one where um, uh, John Prescott kind of doesn't know oh. the song, but he's clapping along next to uh, Peter Mandelson, oh. doing that very kind of affected. And I mean, that's all New Labour was. It was it was an affectation of the, exactly the same policies that had gone on before. But you sure definitely, that. when they came in, you had that that sense that it's like it was a refreshing change and adults around you told you that it was a refreshing yeah. change and you believed them. Um, but, yeah, it took kind of uh, three or four years to for, for things to kind of... There were little things, there were little nudges where they kind of... You saw the kind of world that New Labour imagined they were trying to create, which was this very plastic, very shiny version of Singapore. Mm. Um, of a kind of fairly low wage economy where you could just vaguely manage things and, and, and as long as you kept people on side with how they felt rather than how their lives were that it would be alright and that was not the case with the Tories the Tories were harsh by their by the way that they came into politics after the 70s in a time of crisis they came in and they were they were hardened class warriors for their class Hmm. They knew what Tebbit, Norman Tebbit, knew what he wanted and he didn't care. He was going to batter you until you lost Who's and he won. But with Blair, they had a kind of shiny, um, a shiny, shiny, a shiny veneer over the top. You could be this new country and that appealed to a kind of emerging middle class that came out of the financial wealth that was generated in the 80s. Gen Xers had grown up. Yeah. Gen Xers, Gen Xers got to like 97 and, you know, when they were not knee-deep in Coke and uh, Jack and Cokes, they, the wealthy ones anyway, I think it's kind it's of like, difficult to kind of stereotype like, that entire generation well, of Gen Xers. I remember, like, um, my wife's older than me, mm. she's nine years older than me, and mm. she was in the pub when Tony Blair got in. Oh, wow, wow, yeah, there you go. And they were all really happy, and they were all like Gen Xers, because me and you were like just at the, the start of what's classed as millennials by marketing organisations. Yeah, yeah. So we're the elder statesmen of millennials. Yeah, so we get the adverts for um, laptops, um, apps, and occasionally fast food places. Mm. Yeah. But um, they were all very happy, and I'm pretty certain that's because, like, if I was a bit older, I would have had more of my parents complaining about Thatcher. Yeah, yeah. But they got a lot of complaining about Thatcher. They didn't. Their parents never really did anything about Thatcher because they were all, their parents were boomers. Yeah, but so. also by that point, the kind of direct action you could take against Thatcher was done. The minor yeah. strike was the last, maybe not the last, but the it was. Tax. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, the poll um, tax, the poll tax rights. But it was a, it was which a, it was, was an, an exercise in rebranding. Yeah, exactly. And that was towards the end. They already seemed sclerotic by that point. They seemed old out of touch and John Major came in and he was kind of you know what is Englishness you got, first got that question um, what is Britishness because previously people kind of had instinctual answers as to what they'd been told about what a British person is John, and John, John the last working class Prime Minister uh, his wasn't he didn't he do something didn't his family do something stupid like they owned a gnome factory they manufactured gnomes in Norfolk because he was a Bus conductor. I'm not sure about actually. I could look it up, but, yeah, um, it. but I'm sure I'm pretty certain that he was the last working class one. 
there, there yeah. have been very few. I mean, bear in mind oh, that. Yeah. Bear in mind, I'm un- pretty sure he went to Oxbridge. Our class structure is way more rigid than other countries. And you and we don't talk about it, which is the basis of a class structure. If it's we ex- talk about it, we get well, we, weirdly we, when we're yeah, standing exactly. shouting about it. Exactly, but you're in the situation now where those class lines are hardening, and people mm. who are maybe of adulthood find it very difficult to redefine themselves as upper class or middle class even though everybody who well, identify who says I'm middle class is probably working class and everybody who says they're middle class is probably it's a hard thing because people class. don't like to think of themselves as there's, there's like there's the two different kinds of people there's the kind of person who doesn't like to think of themselves as working class they yeah. like to think of themselves as middle class hmm. because the idea of thinking of themselves as working class means that they failed yes yeah Working um, class is a stigma of failure. Yeah. Whereas then oh, unless then you're the unless people... unless you're racist, in <laughs> which case it's legitimate concerns. <laughs> Whereas then you have working class people who refuse to think of themselves as middle class, despite the fact that they earn enough money to have a house. Yeah. Because that would mean that they're some kind of traitors. Yeah. I mean, I've not got. I've, I've not... There is no difference between working class and middle class. Really, there's there's the people who I think there's have a very all of the money. If you're talking about uh, conditions on the ground, there is a difference. Yeah, but even then, like, how many people do? How many people do you know who have houses that could survive losing their job and going without money for a month? Oh yeah, nobody. That's very few people now. Like, I can't think of anyone I know other than retired parents (laughs) (laughs) yeah but also they they grew up in the big middle class but like if you think about british history from 1945 which is kind of the breaking point it was it was when the welfare state came in and and things like that you have got rid of the empire and made my mum move back from kenya yeah so yeah you're you're, (laughs) displayed my colonial roots there (laughs) yeah you're a natural settler (laughs) welsh yes (laughs) i could live in south wales am i but you get this kind of feeling from the from kind of the forties um, after the war. You have everybody thinks of the kind of post-war settlement after forty-five as a leveling instrument, but really it's kind of not. And that's why when we say we're hard left, I think we're not under any illusion about what actually happens. Like a welfare state would be excellent to have because there's people fucking struggling mm. out there, but. It's not sufficient. No. The welfare state, as it was founded in Britain, was founded in order to assist the capitalist system at yeah. its most dire well, It was at that moment where um, they were... It was like why one of the best places to live straight after World War Two was West Germany. Because they'd give you everything, and they'd get funding to give you everything, because they were terrified they were going to run over to yeah. join the Soviets, who would yeah. look after them. Yeah. Um, it, had that, it had that kind of flavour to it. And as we've kind of gone through the 80s and the welfare state has slowly been eroded the, the, the fear of the Soviet Union on the basis of our ruling class has kind of receded they've slowly taken away more and more things and mm. I think it's probably it's probably fair to say that the current generation also the generation of ruling class that put in the welfare state sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for anti-revolutionary reasons, have died off and they've gone and we are too, they're Blair is two generations separated from those people. But they had the idea that they had this sorted. There was no danger of revolution. Capitalism basically worked. And all you needed was tweaks, which is where we come back round to Tony Blair. Yeah. Because, and also, 
How many times has have the markets crashed since the nineties? There um, the, there's at least there was, two or was, three. There was, was it Black Wednesday. There was Black, yeah. Uh, that was the late eighties. That was the that was eighty uh, eighty nine, I think, or eighty seven, when you had the uh, joining the exchange rate mechanism, I think. But also a lot of a lot of accounts of the post war period don't actually take into take into account that there were a load of currency shocks before we had a kind of a currency that was you were able to change into other currencies and you were able to um, leave the country with. There were a load of currency shocks that actually acted like market crashes mm. for people who were in it. So it's like, you know, we've got all these, like Labour come in in 45, we've got all these welfare ideas, and immediately there's a run on currency. Mm. So you can't afford to pay for it because sterling isn't worth as much as it was. And, you know, they, they come down from that kind of... They come down from that. There are a lot of mini shocks, and then there's kind of mini shocks in the seventies as well. And we've never had a maybe we've never had a full full blown capitalist crisis, other than the seventies, the late seventies, and two thousand and eight. Because there was a dot. There was an internet bubble. Yeah, but that was oh. that was largely contained. There, the Asian the Asian economies kind of um, bore the brunt of that because capitalism never solves any of its problems. Just it just moves them around. So when the economy, when the original tiger economies, those kind of economies that did well in the seventies and eighties, Japan, South Korea, those kind of things, they collapsed, and that in turn had kind of a the, that that kind of acted in concert with the collapse of the first dot com bubble, which by the way. If you don't realise, we're in another dot-com bubble now. How much was Uber worth the other day? Oh, it's, it's fucking right. insane. It's like what three hundred billion dollars for a platform. They don't own any cars. They own nothing. It's a very good communist measure do. if it wasn't entirely done for profit. And Facebook's worth too much. Mm. Well, I don't. I'm still not exactly sure how Facebook. Makes I mean, money, this, uh, this apart isn't from the stupid. Well, a Facebook rates. actually makes money. Um, maybe not enough money to cover what their outgoings are, which I can't even imagine what their outgoings are. But the big one is the big one at the moment. Oh, yeah. Prostitutes and assassinations and uh, Mark Zuckerberg's. <laughs> autism, Bitcoin. Mark Zuckerberg's autism medication. <laughs> um, but the big one at the moment is Twitter. Uh, it came mm. out actually this week. If we're it's not really business chat, uh, I'm not that interested in the comings and goings of media companies as per se. But uh, Twitter loses something like 170 million a year because there's they don't earn any money. What do they? Yeah. Because it's free. Yeah. They haven't got. They shouldn't have that many outgoings, but they don't earn any money. It's it's that um oh it's in Parks and Rec with the media company mm. that they open. Mm. And they just have a basketball player just constantly shooting hoops in the corner. Yeah. Because it's what happens when idiots <laughs> get a line of credit. Yeah. Well, there's a, there was a beautiful thing about... Um, uh, there was an article the other week about um, Uber trying uh, self-driving cars. And Johnny Cabs. The whole... Yeah, Johnny Cabs. Johnny, Johnny Cabs. Cabs. Yeah. And if they don't have that kind of weird plasticky doll in the front, uh, we will have failed the future. I need to... I need to have the uncanny valley. We will have failed. Quite human yeah. interaction. We're just, all we're trying to do with this present dystopia, all we're trying to do is accelerate to the point where we can make Philip K. Dick and J.G. Ballard and Paul Verhoeven proud. <laughs> well, no, we're making um, Paul Verhoeven proud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I'd, I'd like to live in a Philip K. Dick future. I'd love to live in all the neon of Blade Runner, <laughs> but I'm pretty certain we're like on the cusp of a Paul Verhoeven nightmare. <laughs> But like yeah, Uber were talking about these self-driving cars, and um, 
for anybody who hasn't isn't particularly sold on socialism or, or communism or whatever um, this is kind of indicative the self-driving cars the way that they would work would be that you would lease a car it would turn up at the front of your house you would use it for the amount of time that you had leased it for and then it would go off and serve some other family sort of like Zipcar has now but kind of more mechanical more at a distance because god knows in our dystopia you don't want to fucking talk to anybody oh god, else no. no talking to people is the worst talking to people is the worst and silicon valley is hard at work making sure you never have to talk to anybody again That's in fact silicon valley is run by billionaire autists in fact you can't you can't person. talk to anybody Staggering yeah you can't talk to anybody else again um and the idea was that you would lease this car on a temporary basis. And some very enterprising young communist on uh, Twitter pointed out, that's communism. That's actively communism. Marx talks about the fact that the capitalist system will reach a point where it cannot generate the thing that it needs, which is a profit margin. And communism will naturally happen when that when the capitalist system collapses and the proletariat, the working class, is able to take over the means, the means of production, the things that capitalism uses in order to generate profit. The they, Johnny Cabs. Yeah, the Johnny Cabs. They see it as generating profit. We see it as things to facilitate human life. Hmm. You know, what's a more important uh, priority there? But, yeah, without the profit motive, what Uber are trying to do and what a load of other company, tech companies have tried to do is make communism just with profit. Well, tech companies are the worst. Yeah. I can't think of a single tech leader that isn't yeah, an abominable human. They're monsters. Yeah. Like, Peter Thiel goes to a Swiss clinic to have his blood replaced by the blood of seven Vestal Virgins <laughs> every six months. He wants to take to the sea. Like Elizabeth Bathory? He wants, yeah, like Elizabeth Bathory and just take to the seas on his giant floating libertarian island oh. where he's free to there presumably a, shoot poor people. Is there still a current libertarian island plot mm. is there one on kickstarter it's peter Thiel. it's peter Thiel, the man who the man who bankrolled the gorka lawsuit the man who um support, he, hated, he hated the notion of hulk hogan being outed as a racist well and no the whole thing was that this is turning into tech gossip a little bit but um he um he was outed by gorka um which is a bad thing don't get me wrong. No, you should never. I've got no. I've got no love for Gorka. I've got no particular game. love for Gorka. I think they were fine. I don't know why you would pick on them as a uh, a case of egregious journalistic abuse more than anyone else. Mm. But you know they were they were fine. I've got no particular no particular love for them. But he out they outed him and he actually said to Nick Denton, the uh, head of Gorka, um, "I'm going to get you," and <laughs> he did hard. Really hard. It's because he outed the gay guy with billions of dollars. That says a lot, though. I did not know that Peter Till was gay. Was gay. Mm. Had no idea. All I saw him as was uh, he's gay but Volcel because it (laughs) allows him to allows him to. That would not. (laughs) I actually don't know whether it wouldn't surprise me at all (laughs) because I imagine that okay, if he's gay, he probably has all the desires of a homosexual, but unfortunately, because he was an android built before they could design proper genitalia, he doesn't have any of the necessary parts. It's like an action man tech billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I, I imagine him. Which is how I imagine most tech billionaires, to be honest. So speaking of tech billionaires, yeah. Tony Blair. <laughs> but it's... Okay, I mean, circling back around to the topic, like, 
the idea of Tony Blair having anything to say about British politics at this point, when he has far more in common with someone like Peter Thiel yeah. than with anybody. He kept referring to it as our country. And it's like, it's not his motherfucker, how, how fucking long have you lived in Britain for the last 10 years? Not that that is a particularly the thing that, well, that if would... If you asked him about Britain, he'd talk about the differences between Oasis and Blur. Mm. Mm. But it, it, he has no... Um, he, he kind of intervenes in this way. The last time he intervened was specifically to criticise Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. And, again, disclaimer, I've no particular love for Jeremy Corbyn. Fine. But in a corner, in a corner, he's the only one. We have a, yeah. system, we have a system where we have no other fucking choice. Yeah. We have no choice. Well, I'm not yeah. going to join the Labour Party. I'm in not going to give my hard-earned £3 a month to the Labour Party because <laughs> they're a, full of fucking capitalist rooters. In a perfect world, I would give all my money and all my approval to Salford. a 25-year-old Bob Crow. I would give it to Daz, who ran for class war in uh, East <laughs> London a couple of years ago. Yes. Yes. Only Always have parliamentary... If we're going to have parliament, If we're going to have to have parliamentary candid- candidates, which in this system you have to have, I want people whose names can be truncated to uh, things you can shout at... Single monosyllabic things you can shout at someone in a pub. I like to vote for either... Bez, Daz, Doz, yeah. something I'll, like I'll that. I want to vote yeah. for, a, for a person who's not going to wear a suit in the House of Commons. Yeah, who I'll refuses I'll, to wear a suit. Yeah, just flat out refuses. Like, Polo we'll shirt turned away at the door because he's wearing work boots. <laughs> and it's not like he ever worked on a site, he just wears steel toe cap boots because yeah. he just likes them. Yeah, because um, you never know what you're going to get into. Well, yeah, you do. <laughs> like, I, I, I have been mugged before, yeah. and steel cap boots saved my life oh I got went off and more importantly saved my oyster cup I went off I went off steel toe cap boots when someone who was a bit of a horsey person said about what happened when they wore steel toe cap boots and had their foot trod on by a horse or saw I don't know they maybe saw someone whose uh, foot was trod on by a horse and it's like yeah the toes were gone <laughs> the toes were gone it's a big horse yeah and also when am I around horses um, I live on an English council estate not an Irish council estate don't live on a council estate it's a former council estate, yeah. 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 Down that too. I mean, it's not anymore because, you know, I live in 2017 and so council estates have been driven into exile. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, Tony, Tony Blair kind of descending from the heavens and intervening in British politics. The interesting thing was last time he intervened specifically about Labour. Mm. So he came in as big daddy Labour and... Um, kind of had a go at Jeremy Corbyn, urged centrism, because after all, after Brexit and Donald Trump, what we need is more milquetoast centrism. Well, Trump properly proves that. And it's, oh, okay, aside, thing that always drives me insane, Mm. everyone, when they're talking about Trump, and they do it all the time, and even the supposed left-leaning people in the media, and like, like the likes of John Oliver. Yeah. And those kind of people. Oh, I can't stand John. But when they talk about Trump winning, and they'll still talk about how he appealed to working class people in any way, he, whereas Trump he, had less votes than Mitt Romney. Yeah. Trump didn't win that election. Yeah. Hillary Clinton lost it. Yeah. And Hillary Clinton lost it because she's a war criminal. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, <laughs> American populists have no problem electing war criminals. Boy, no. No, they really, they really don't. But I mean, this is not an American. You know, we're not talking about American politics. But no, it's, but that, it's, it's that thing of like, um, um, there's been a lot. Of, the, the comparison between Brexit and Trump is ludicrous, yeah. utterly ludicrous, because 
Brexit had a lot of had a huge turnout. Yeah. And it had a lot of people turning out to vote who've never voted before. Yeah. yeah. Like my stepfather, he turned out to vote and he voted for Brexit. Mm. He voted for Brexit for the sake of his grandkids. Mm. Um, he didn't ask them mm. what they wanted. Well, they all wanted to leave. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't ask them, including my 16 year old daughter, he didn't ask her because he had a better idea. Um, because that's what all the baby boomers think. Yeah. That, you know, they. Know well, they're better. in charge, aren't they? They're the ones who know what's better. Go now. Okay. Yeah. If, if you can tell that seamless edit, um, I needed a piss. So, yeah. So the boomers kind of coming back and telling us kind of what's up is exactly what happened with Tony Blair. As a lot of people on Twitter commented, it was like, oh, we were having a party and then the grown-up turned up. That kind of psychosexualization of that previous a previous generation of politicians is... But that's a weird, weird. fucked-up person who's excited when a grown-up turns up to a party. It's a weird, fucked-up person who thinks that he's excited when Tony Blair turns <laughs> up. But like if you like if you're at a house party and the grown up turns up. Tony Blair's a knock, right? Let's just like say oh, he's that more right. He's a, a fucking grass. He no, he's significant. Like he's got all grass. of the grass behaviours, all of the grass kind of sloping forehead. You know, <laughs> he's got the mismatched teeth. Smooth brains. Yeah, smooth teeth. brains, myth, mismatched jeans, half <laughs> Yeah. Um no, no, no one's ever been excited. No one's ever been excited when a grown up turned up. Yeah, no, that always ruined it. I was not excited when Tony Blair turned up to my last house party. It was horror. It was it was awkward. It's terrible. He turned up and started talking about how mismanagement of this house party had turned what could have been a very enjoyable occasion into an absolute catastrophe. And then he dragged Mohammed out into the court. He had to beat him up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So just reading some of the aspects of this speech. I mean, the man has not fucking changed. He, came, he went out in 2007, so that's 10 yeah. years of Blair-free government, and he has not changed one fucking iota. Oh, no. um, he has the usual kind of... He even manages to sneak in, so he, he says at one point, our challenge is to expose relentlessly what the cost of Brexit is, to show how the decision was based on imperfect knowledge, which will now become informed knowledge. That's neoliberal market speak. Neoliberals always talk about uh, markets having imperfect knowledge. Because if you're in a market where choice is the only is the only metric by which decisions are made, if you make a bad decision, it's because you didn't have enough information. Mm. You didn't have you had it literally imperfect knowledge. That's how economists talk. Yeah. And he's reading from that kind of book straight off the bat. He just comes straight in. But economists are dumbasses as well. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, they don't particularly. Well, it's, a, it's a, I think it's an important point that. The Nobel Prize for Economics wasn't one of the original Nobel Prizes. <laughs> there was. It wasn't. Originally, it was for proper things, rather than bullshit weather predicting, <laughs> borderline astrology. The whole point of neoliberal economics is to make economics as a discipline kind of um, extinct. Because in a perfect market economy, they posit... You would not need anybody to predict anything because everything would be in this perfect rotation of consumer and consuming. It's nonsense, but it's that's that's kind of the where they're at. But he's oh, he just comes straight back in, and it's consider for a moment the surreal situation in which our nation finds itself. I make no personal criticism of the PM or government. He does what? No, he does. Like you are on a particular side. 
If you're, yeah. I mean, I suppose this is the suit that he's wearing right now. This is the this is the skin that he's wearing right now. He's coming in. He tried coming in as the Labour grandee, and that didn't work because nobody wanted him. No. And so he comes back in as the neutral arbiter between a load of different parties to say, oh, everyone's it's so chaotic and everything. Don't worry, I'm here. And it, it's that shift as well from party political power to personal power, which he always did when he was in office. Mm. And he's just gone straight into it. As if Brexit, at its heart, wasn't a vote against kind of... Him. Him. And everything he did. If anyone was a standard bearer for disconnected elites... Yeah. yeah. He's the one. What did he do when he went out of office? He went to Zurich and the Middle East. <laughs> you know? <laughs> He's like a kind of grander, richer version of a TED Talk. It's fucking disgusting. And then even I think you'll find TED Talks are pretty rich. <laughs> and even worse, like the the worst. I'm just cycling down to it now. The worst part of it, immigration is the issue. Because the only two things in British politics you can talk about are how chaotic Brexit is and how immigration needs to be addressed. That's the standard for British... I mean, it's, it, makes, it makes actually talking about British politics really difficult because the only thing that you are told that people want to discuss is immigration. Immigration, immigration, immigration. Well, they do, it's because a, the, that's all that the news and the paper tells them. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's an entire kind of... Uh, what's the word? Um, it's a it's a basic uh, signifier, mm. which is anything that happens to you, from your high taxes to your shit job, to somebody parking in your space outside, to somebody taking the bins too early. It's all codified as immigration, and it's partially why UKIP have been so successful in in conjunction with the media that gives them so much airtime. Mm. In that, immigration becomes part of legitimate concerns mm. well it's um oh, the, the I, parking is a good example actually yes yeah. parking i know people who have complained solidly about the reason yeah. they can't park on their road is because of too many migrants mm. too many people have moved into the area so therefore we can't park it the reason why parking spaces are a, are a premium on my road is because we live on i live in on quite a nice road on victorian terraces they've all been turned into flats yeah You've doubled the number of cars overnight. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that's true. Again, this is very London-centric. I'm sure you don't know what it's like to live in a place with too many cars and not enough parking <laughs> spaces. Um, we're insult- are we insulting our audience too much, our potential audience? Northerners can't work out TVs. TVs? <laughs> computers. I can't work out TV. Computers. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 the kind of hidden thing that... There's gradations of immigration conversation and it's allowed, it's kind of what's allowed the alt-right and the neo-Nazis to come back into the conversation where they get well, To be told that where they it's get okay time. to complain about immigration. Well, yeah, because they don't, because it's when they get into the, the nitty-gritty of it that really well, their, their stripes come out and it definitely does in this Blair well, conversation. Has your life been negatively affected uh, by immigration? No, it's been positively affected. My well, yeah, girlfriend's Indian. Yeah, it's... Yeah. it's, it's Positively been affected. Well, <laughs> because I'm white, you're a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I like um my my I have like a whole section of my family that are from South Wales. They all still live in South Wales now because it's very hard to get out of South Wales because you're paid no money mm. to do anything. You go to Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a while ago, you could run away to Liverpool. Well, my family ran away from Liverpool, <laughs> but um. They all voted Brexit. Yeah. Because of immigration. Mm. They've never seen an immigrant. Yeah. 
Well, there was that UKIP speech that he did in front of the oh, the statue of Nye Bevan. Mm. A UKIP rep, rep yeah. did a speech in front of the statue of Nye Bevan. What um, it might have been in Cardiff, it might have been somewhere else. Owen Smith did exactly the same thing. Yeah, it, it might have been there. Um, yeah. Or oh, it's Keir Hardy and Aberdeen. Um, and they did the thing of saying, it was, and it might have even been, you know, Owen Smith talking about how his teachers, because he's not from South Wales, well, he might be from South from Wales. Cardiff. Um, he's from Cardiff, so. It's when it, it's, 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 it's not, it's one of the things I will actually really laud, uh, I will really applaud, like Jeremy Corbyn. He has not gotten dragged into that no. he will not condemn immigration as an issue that is a problem that affects people that isn't from other reasons although he probably was in favour of Brexit oh no yeah but that's for, for different the same reasons. reasons that we were at points that me and you would have been maybe Brexit yeah, because yeah. the EU is a neoliberal organisation it is a a capitalist organisation. Yeah, it's designed. It's designed to facilitate business. It's designed yeah. to facilitate corporations and designed to accelerate the process that we've all been undergoing since the seventies and eighties. Yes, yeah. but like the reason, like I voted to stay, was because I have I didn't want to reduce where my daughter could work. Yeah, I wanted her to be able to do whatever she wanted. Also. I didn't it's think... the kind of thing a metropolitan elite would say. Well, yeah. Well, um, the other thing is, <laughs> when I was a younger man, and an accelerationist to the nth degree, and I just wanted to see the world burn... Well, we haven't... <laughs> I was all in favour of seeing the world burn and become like Mad Max. But now I've got a kid, I don't want to impose that on well, we haven't and got... my wife wouldn't survive the be... What's a scriptwriter to do in well, the like... Mad Max economy? Well, we're... well, I hope you're happy, because all we have left is accelerationism. <laughs> Yep. All That's we have left is, is accelerating contradictions. It, I had it chosen for me, so it's fine. It seems that my teenage self was right, mm. and I should just listen to Death Notes. Well. <laughs> um, yeah, it, this, it's it's when you get into the kind of immigration conversation, um, and you, you, you see they're kind of equivocating, because they don't want to appear racist. Because although we have plenty of racists... Not. They're probably... You know what? They're probably they not. They probably don't give a shit, either way. No, um, that's that thing of um, not every Brexit voter was a racist. No, but every, every racist, racist was a Brexit. Brexit. Yeah, and we both know a fair number of racists yeah. who voted Brexit. Yeah. But you would assume that our political class as a whole is not the the kind of centrist ones anyway. Are think of themselves as good non-racists, not anti-racists. No, no, because they but hate non, anti-racists. But non-racists. Can you think of a single British politician who would consider themselves an anti-far? No, because they their entire because even the beast of Bolsover, his knees aren't what they used to be. <laughs> Bob Crow, oh, I miss Bob Crow. Yeah, I miss Bob Crow too. We all miss Bob Crow. This RMT, this Southern Rail strike, will be over like that. I flick like my fingers. <laughs> yeah, um, would be over. I think Very the Tories would. Look, it's all Tories want. Tories yeah. love fighting with unions, but and especially like it's the because current to- transport minister who's like really into model trains. Yeah, and like the notion that his model train network doesn't like the fact that he uses them constantly because his wife won't fuck him. <laughs> so he needs some entertainment. So he's up there using his his little model train network in the middle of the night, and they're like, "Well, no, actually, we want to go back to our family." That infuriates him. I mean, the, you, you raise a good point. The reason why the Tories. 
always seem to win and the Liberals always seem to lose is because the Tories know what they are. The Tories are hardened class warriors. Now, they might say that they're on the side of the working class Mm. and may take steps to kind of prove that. And pretend they care about the NHS because their kid died. Yeah, but But what they're there for is to harden the idea of a hierarchical class system. They are not against the working class per se, but what they don't like is the idea of an egalitarian non-class society. And they will fight to the death. Oh, they will fight so to much. the death Actually, to, to assure that's that. That's probably one of the problems with liberal, definitely Lib Dem voters yeah. and the vast majority of Labour voters and definitely new Labour voters. Um, I would happily see the National Trust dead. Well, the National Trust was set up in order to safeguard Aristos houses after yeah, exactly. when they had to I'd start paying inheritance it, tax. But those people don't want to see it gone because they like walking around their yeah. better houses. Well, they'll... Whereas I'd like to live in their better <laughs> Or turn their better houses into council flats. <laughs> or just tear them down because a lot of them are just worthless in the middle of nowhere anyway. Uh, easy Although Leeds Castle had a really nice maze. Easy there, Paul Pot. <laughs> Popeye didn't care about garden house gardens in um, in England. <laughs> I'm pretty certain that he didn't write anything about that. Uh, Whereas I've written extensive live journal books. <laughs> yeah, no, it, the the Tories know who they are, and mm. they've always been the same. And the interesting thing is, uh, Corey Robin talks a lot about this, um, about how. Corey Robin is uh, an American academic who um, he's the conservative mind, and he talks about how yeah it's good it's good make that face at me pulling, pulling a face because it was a book like a very, no not pulling a face it's a book <laughs> although the idea of printing books is really hard I like to read uh, fantasy books <laughs> um, nothing else he talk, he talks about kind of how conservatives. The conservative movement is largely unchanged since the French Revolution, and they've done that by they bring in it's they bring in new blood at a greater rate than liberal or progressive um, mm. groups do. They're more willing to, but only individuals, not groups, because mm. they're not crazy. Um, <laughs> you can't control groups. You, you can't control, control groups. Yeah. You can control um, that guy who wants to join the golf club. And they they bring in people who roughly fit their agenda at a greater rate than um, pr- pr- progressive movements. So you've got someone like Priti Patel, daughter of an immigrant, um, yeah, who is who is worse. harder right. Well, yeah, of course she is. N- most of the cabinet. Because they love kicking out ladders. Yeah, because that's that's what they're doing. They're, they're, if you're going to boil it down to a single uniting factor that the Conservative Party and a Conservative movement as a whole adhere to across the eons, it is the idea of a stratified hierarchical class system. Mm. A few people will be allowed up, a few people will be kicked down, but the structure will remain. And this has not fully penetrated the other side, whatever the other side is. I say liberal progressive because I don't really know what to call well, the left at this point. Well, no, the, well, the left, specifically in this country, mm. on an on like a scale which would allow it to be seen in the media, yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, you have the old school right, yeah, 
like the civil servant in a very British coup. Yeah. And then on the other side, you have fence-sitting Tony Blair's who yeah. want to... I don't think he sat on a fence in his life. I think he very much put himself on the right of the party Was it, wasn't he one of the ones into who, accelerating he, he capitalism. He was one of the ones that had a... He couldn't decide when he was at university which political group to join. I don't And know. decided to yeah, join the Labour Party because there was more scope for advancement because of his humble upbringings. His humble upbringings of being middle class. Yeah. Um, rather than if you join the... Um, it, well, it'd be better if you join the Labour Party than if you join the Tory Party mm. because you have more chance of him being in charge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Liberals don't know what they are. Yeah. They don't know what they are. One what? of the main problems is they feel guilty about about people being in a terrible situation. Yeah. They feel um, like there's... I know a lot of people who feel bad for poor people. Mm. But if they extended it to the logical conclusion, which would be they'd have to give up something, yeah. they'd never do that. Yeah. They'd never do that in a million years. And that's why they'd vote New Labour. Yeah. And that's what the Labour Party now is for. Mm. Whereas the Conservative Party is for people who are very comfortable yeah and genuinely despise people who want more whereas I think the Labour Party at least feels sorry for them well no they like no the Conservative Party like people who want more well, they it just means want, they'll work for less money because it means they'll work for less money and they'll create more wealth that they can sell off to entrenched wealth already yeah. every every tech billionaire became a billionaire because he sold what he made or, or she made to someone who was already already wealthy. Um, there was yeah, that one who, there who is there was that ripoff merchant. Yeah, there's the one who said that they could do blood screenings. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what she. But she uh, the thing is, she was the best. I can't remember her name. Look up her name. I can't remember her name. She was the no, best because she, she was a proper snake oil salesman, yeah. flipper man, and I wish I was her. I wish <laughs> I had the balls to just blag my way into that much investment ah oh, yeah I wish I had those skills the skills how do people do it i would say that because they have they lack that humanity <laughs> that I think leftists have because I gen- and it might seem like a very partisan point but I have no problem with that kind of mentality I think that I think if you don't think about other people <laughs> that you're a monster yeah yeah, well. If you don't think about how your actions affect other people, then you are a disgusting, vile piece of shit. And tech billionaires don't really think about you. Yeah, well, the they've been they've, they've, they've been raised. They most of them have been raised in a kind of sitting in front of your computer kind of environment where they, well, they don't. Been raised. Have, That's the problem. They were just well, left yeah. in front of their computer. But I mean, they by their yeah. boomer parents. But you know, the the, the ground for that, and get, getting back to Tony Blair, he kind of his his idea of Britain was that he saw Silicon Valley in its infancy and wanted Britain to be that and was very I think very disappointed by the fact that most people didn't kind of bend to what he saw Britain as because when he says he doesn't say a, he says a fairer Britain but mostly what he means is a modern Britain he, always, he was always talking about that early on mm. a modern Britain a modern Britain and he saw it with that kind of. He saw it in the in those in those in those lines, you know. Of well, we, what we should allow is 
black kids from the inner cities to code um. and therefore they can create wealth but of course obscuring the fact that even if somebody does come up with a good idea and markets it and then sells it on they're selling it on to people who already have that capital well, a f- he sells it on to capital itself well, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how how anything works because belief yeah. in a meritocracy is mental yeah it's genuinely mental because yeah. like it would be a, it's a nice idea the idea mm. of the meritocracy that the best yeah. people go to the top mm. but it doesn't really exist mm. like would you have your job now if it wasn't for people you knew no not at all no I knew I had a friend at where I work at the office that I work at at the moment yeah I knew someone there and I went I mean I went for a job interview yeah but yeah but you got that job interview because mm. and that's just how all of it works and that neoliberal idea of um, the best just Naturally rise to the top, yeah. It completely disregards the notion that people get help. Yeah. Like, yeah, it. Oh, it just it drives me insane. Yeah. It it drives me completely insane that some I could like. There's people at the school that my daughter goes to Mm. that probably could get very far in whatever field they want, but they won't. Because their parents aren't involved in said industry. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. And Tony Blair completely disregards that. Yeah. Disregards people's upbringing. Mm. Uh, he's the, he's, that everyone exists in a vacuum. He's the, he's, the ni- he's the nice edge of the exactly the same sword. He, whereas uh, a harsh Tory will say, well, you should have worked harder or, you know, uh, uh, you should have... Yeah. Um, you should get have, on your bike. Get on your bike. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of thing. He's he's exactly the same side, mm. but he's just a slightly nicer face, which is, oh, we can facilitate you in doing this thing if you want to. And, you know, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> he well, didn't. The, but the thing is, even then, if I come... Okay, say you're a working-class kid yeah. and you want to be... I'm going to go with scriptwriter because it's a thing that I understand because mm. my wife is mm. a scriptwriter. You're a working class kid and you want to be a scriptwriter now. Hmm. You do what? Um, what would you do as a degree? Creative writing? Yeah. Creative writing and then you get an agent. Hmm. You're not going to get an agent. Hmm. You're not. We're just we're sending scripts. You're just, you're just not. So you'd have to do um, like an MA or something hmm. to get further along and hopefully get further up the path. And you would have to pay for that MA. Yeah, you'll have to pay for that yeah. MA. And even then, you probably won't get read. Yeah. But if you're the child of a successful person yeah. in that industry, then you can just skip a couple of piles yeah. of scripts. You, sk- you, you skip a couple of steps, and I don't think that can be underestimated. Yeah. The couple of steps are the important thing. You well, know, the, couple of, the couple of steps are hundreds of scripts yeah. to read. And that's in virtually every industry. Getting picked. What's happened? All, all the all the um, Thatcher and Blair did is get rid of the notion of the unionised clothes shop. Yeah. But apply that logic of the unionised clothes shop on a kind of informal degree to everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's dirtbags. Yeah. They. I mean, it also went along with kind of a general um, industrial crisis that saw. Obviously, that's the that's the amazing thing about Brexit. I think. Like, 
it's the same. I mean, it's exactly the same thing in a less explicit form as as Trump, which is his his. I think it's ironic that Trump's vision. Obviously, he wants he's presenting a vision of things can go back to the way that they were. But isn't it ironic that the vision of things going back to the way that they were is the seventies, sixties, fifties, sixties, and seventies unionized well, the, the industrial Trump's vision of America. auto worker. The most unionized, yeah. Yeah, Trump's the most unionized yeah. factories. Incredibly unionized. But the thing is, the Trump's vision of America is, it's not like 60s and 70s, it's 50s. Yeah. And it's, America was so great in the 50s. And why was America great in the 50s? Because every manufacturing base in the entire world had been blown to shit by America. Yeah. And maybe America will do that again. Some by Germany. Maybe. Well, you know. well, maybe. Well, maybe America. Well, maybe America will just blow the shit out of Germany now, to make America great again. <laughs> I could. I could see him trying to pull it. Well, the thing is, we can't. I don't we even can't, know. There's no country. That, well, we can't have a world war now, because there's too much money involved. Because there's no one to fight. Like <laughs> I don't understand this whole Russia and China thing. I don't. Like. No, it's a really, it's a really dumb idea. Because also, like, okay, for a start, Trump is. Dumb as fuck for pretending Taiwan is a country because it isn't a country. Yeah. Um, I don't care. No, it's. It, and the thing is, it's dumb as fuck because also he's chosen the wrong side there. But it was awesome as well. Did you see his thing that he wrote when uh, he. Uh, well, actually, the president of Taiwan phoned me. And it's like, yeah. you realise you're the president. Yeah. He's treating it like this is like. Uh, like uh, he's uh, Donald like Trump. Like he's a business. Who's the Donald big Trump, the big. <laughs> Rather than Trump. Donald Trump, leader of the free world. Because <laughs> he still doesn't realise that what... He, he still doesn't realise that this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to him. Well, no, I'm sorry to talk a... about Donald Trump again, because we've tried to make this about British but politics. But But it's thing. almost impossible, and it's also really funny because to talk this, about. Because we're like a battle state anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Airstrip. Airstrip one. Yeah. 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 And... Oh, I just... The thing is, I don't like China. Like, politically. I don't think I'd happily live in China. Uh, are you going to start adopting trot language here? Degenerated <laughs> worker state? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's more the state of their wrestling. <laughs> Professional wrestling in, in China is just wrong. It's just, it doesn't work properly. It's not very good, so I'm never going to speak it out in support of China. Um, but I wouldn't start a fucking fight with them, yeah. especially if... Like if I didn't have a bigger army than them, which America doesn't. It's I tell you what, that's another great boomer thing, uh, awesome boomer thing over the last six months or so, trying to reignite the Cold War. Oh, it's dumb. It's as amazing. It's dumb these as people, as... these people coming out of the thing and liberals, the mm. liberal, the the kind of post McCarthy liberals in America and in Britain, talking about Russian agents, Russians under the bed, yeah. all that shit. It's like they miss it. They miss the certainties of the Cold War. And so it's probably easier if we have a big country that we can't really go can't really go to war with Russia. Can't really do that. Let's let's be serious here. We're not going to war with Russia. We no. can't. We can't. It would be horrible. It would be dumb. I sound I sound like a civil servant, a British civil servant before World War 1, but <laughs> it's it's no one seriously it's thinks that Russia a has the smart move to go to yeah. with Russia. I don't un- I don't understand why they would why why they want to ignite it because I mean I, I actually know why they want to ignite it and it's nothing to do with geopolitics it's nothing to do with the status of Russia as it exists it's all about domestic political conditions. Mm. 
We, the West has not been... At, the West, since Iraq, has kind of teetered towards intervening in the Middle East, but it doesn't provide the same kind of war economy, the same kind of patriotic feeling that these people want to ignite in the populaces of the West, the Western countries that they, that they live in. So what you need is a large kind of enemy, a faceless enemy, that can be mocked on your Saturday night talk shows, that can serve as a stand-in for your um, any, talk, any politics talk when you're talking about world politics. And they need that stand-in. China doesn't do it because China has, has too many things that we buy and China's too... It's not, it is faceless, but it's not... For propaganda purposes, China doesn't work because it's too foreign. So what you need is something closer that you can kind of understand. Lighter. But also, yeah, but also like portray as other. Hmm. And Russia's perfect. Russia's got some severe, like, uh, neo-Nazi problems. So the liberals are happy because you can say, you know, it has that problem with, like... But the thing is with that, it's like, you know, oh, yeah. oh, in Russia they hate gays. Mm. Like in America. Yeah, yeah. It's like, despite the... Yeah. They're doing quite well with the gay marriage thing, but... Mm. The, but it's the thing... Happy. But that's the whole thing. It's not about what Russia is. It's about what the West isn't. Yeah. And that's why they propose, that's why they need that enemy. The West, ever since ever since the Cold War, ever since the kind of uh, pre-First World War kind of inter-imperialist um, section of their history, they've needed a, strong, a strong-ish enemy that you can feel both superior and inferior to. And might I point out that that's also a prerequisite for fascism. Fascism needs an enemy that at the same time is inferior and superior to it so that it can alternately feel better about itself but also scare its populace into doing what it wants, doing what a state wants. Yeah, we've gone wildly off topic, but I think that's cool for our first our yeah. first kind of podcast. Uh, what time are we on? I think um, we can talk about that. Yeah, we know. We, um, I think this is a good time to stop. Yeah, we've kind of got out who we are. I hope like it kind of comes across. This has been a bit more freeform... Yeah, this is um, our first one. We're just we're just talking, really talking and drinking, and uh, that's um, that's kind of where we're coming from. Um, Tony Blair's piece of shit. He um, is an utter piece of utter shit. Piece of shit. Never listen to it. Yeah. But on the same note, Jeremy Corbyn really isn't doing enough. He's not a piece of shit, but he's not great. He's just so yeah. Tired. I mean, I think we'll probably. I reckon we'll definitely address the state of it because as. Being on the left wing, you have in Britain, you have to fucking talk about the Labour yeah. Party. I prefer not to talk about the Labour Party, but you kind of have to. Um, I, I think that's probably something we'll address in future. I reckon. I want to not talk about the Labour Party in the same. Thing that I don't want to ever I talk reckon, about Brexit. Yeah, I reckon there's a there's a whole kind of um, conversation to be had about the Labour Party and Brexit separately, which we might address in in mm. future episodes. I, I reckon that's probably a good a good thing to do. But yeah, um, yeah so this is that's, us. That's us. This is uh, us not talking about the weather. Okay. But yeah. So we'll uh, hopefully, if you like it, uh, see you again soon. Subscribe on iTunes and uh, subscribe to our Twitter. We haven't got a Twitter. (laughs) We we will have a Twitter by the time this goes out, probably. Um, We will... At the minute, there's literally no way of you actually uh, being able to register any kind of opinion one way or the other about Which this. Which is kind of what we want. <laughs> because we don't care. How we... No, that's ridiculous. I don't care. Let's, let's discuss this now. How the hell are we going to know whether anyone what anyone thinks of this unless we have at least a Twitter feed? My logic for this is working on the same logic of me 
leaning against the wall outside of a pub shouting at people. Yeah, but they actually get to speak. They don't. I'm <laughs> much louder than other people. We'll have something set up. It'll probably be in the notes accompanying the podcast when we put it up wherever we put it we up. We will put a link to our MySpaces <laughs> and our live journals. And our Zangas. <laughs> and with that and with that we are done yeah thanks very much for listening guys cheers Yeah.